Our scripture reading today is from Luke 10, 25 through 37, and there are uh, Bibles in the pews there. If you choose one of those, uh, it'll be page 1086 if you get a regular print edition, or page 1612 if you get a large print edition. So I will let you be looking that up. If you're using some other Bible or your own Bible, that's fine. You'll have to find your own page. But it is Luke 10, 25 through 37. We are glad you're here as a guest. And as I said, uh, just leave us one of those little connect cards to uh, let us know how to contact you. Also, I forgot to mention this, and I know two of our guests already have one. There is a little mug back there that has an information packet about our church and what we teach, what we believe. We're welcome to any guest to get one of those little coffee mugs with the information packet in it. So if you haven't got one of those, get one of those. Okay, uh, Luke 10, 25 through 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And thinking about this, this this parable that Jesus told is what our Sunday school lesson was on today. Well, not exactly this parable, but it's helping others. So you'll see as we read into it. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of thieves or robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. And that's what he's telling us today, too. May God bless this reading of his word. find out that right now, in the 21st century, there are more people trapped in slavery than ever before. 
One has to wonder, how is this happening? You know, we see these statistics like 27 million slaves. But the truth is that numbers are numbing. Numbers are dehumanizing and desensitizing. And it becomes so easy to ignore suffering when it remains nameless or faceless. In fact, it's so easy to be overwhelmed by the enormity of the problem if it seems so large that none of us could make a difference. But if you can break that number down so that it represents one human being, one life, one story, then that changes everything. One story that profoundly impacted me was Natalia's. She went to a coffee shop to meet up with a guy that her friends introduced her to. She was so excited about going on a date. She remembered laughing and talking with him, thinking they were having a great time. What she didn't realize was when she went to the bathroom, he drugged her coffee, causing her to pass out. He then threw her in the trunk of a car as if she was nothing more than a piece of baggage. When he arrived at the Greek border, he simply paid off the security guards and entered the country freely. When she awoke, she was in a different country, chained to a bed. She was raped and beaten repeatedly. Two weeks later, Natalia was sold as a sex slave. comment to me about, you know, I can help you get clean, you can go with one of my girls to Chicago, just go get clean, and then you can come home, just start new. So we were in Chicago for a little while, and I got clean, and then we went back to Myrtle Beach. Well, while we were waiting for my luggage to get there, um, the girl that I was in Chicago with, he um, brutally beat her in front of me because he said that she was eavesdropping on our conversation. and. It literally put the fear of God in me. He informed me that if I ran off and left him, he would hunt me down and murder me and murder my family. I was so terrified of this man. I, I mean, if he said jump, I'd say how high. He said that I had the personality to bring girls home to him and that they trusted me because I looked like an all-American white girl. And he turned on an iron that you iron your clothes with. And he said that he was gonna beat me in the face with it if I didn't tell him why there was not a girl in his kitchen, why I didn't bring someone home for him that night. There were certain rules that we had to follow. We had to try to make over $1,000 a night for him. We weren't allowed to have cell phones. We weren't allowed to go home. Um, if we wanted to call home, we had to be in the room with him. He forced me to have two abortions. And I had no choice whatsoever. And that was probably the hardest. I constantly did play out scenarios of how I could get away from him. Pimps, when we were in Houston, Texas, were getting arrested left and right. And I'm like, why can't they get arrested? Like, why, why can't they get us? Like, please, someone come get us. After years of going through everything that I went through, I was just at the point where I wanted to die. We simply cannot allow this to keep happening. 
Human trafficking is our modern day holocaust. We can't turn a blind eye or a deaf ear to the cry of millions who need our help today. Freedom is the right of every human being and is a cause we must all fight for. All right. Has your life ever been touched by injustice or the life of someone you know? Maybe not in that same way. That's the story of that was the story of two different girls who whose lives were greatly impacted by this vice that we call human trafficking. But uh, those were two stories of two girls who were rescued out of that. But, as it showed, many are not. Here in America, the types of injustice that we see most often seems to be, you know, in the papers and things like that, seems to be um, instances where someone was raped, instances where someone was murdered, instances where a child was abused. These kinds of things are the injustices that we're most familiar with maybe in our space and time in our place here in America but increasingly we're becoming aware of this thing called human trafficking and uh, it's when I first heard about it it was usually had to do with things over in Europe that were going on um, girls that would be trafficked from Eastern Europe over into Germany or Greece or countries where it was I guess easier, or for whatever reason, that's where you know a lot of it was taking place, and so that took place. But then we've been learning increasingly that this is an issue here in America as well, and as we'll see in further statistics, and I think they put it up there as well, hundred thousand is what they estimate uh, of girls who have been trafficked, children who have been trafficked into America. And this is an issue in big cities. There's an issue in smaller places as well. Basically, it's an issue anywhere where there are people who are interested in the goods provided by such a service. And it's not just about Trafficking for the purpose of the sex industry, the commercial sex industry. It's also, uh, there are, are cases where it's in legitimate businesses and those kinds of settings. Um, our, our definition of human trafficking. Let's put it up there. Modern day slavery that in, involves the use of force, fraud, or coercion to obtain some type of labor or commercial sex act. Uh, you also hear of humans being trafficked for um, organ, you know, to take their organs and sell them on the black market. Uh, it, it's unbelievable, unbelievable what what takes place out there. Uh, people are trapped. You'll find a story. Your, your bulletin's packed full today, isn't it? There's lots of stuff in there. Make sure you check it all out. But in, inside the Freedom Sunday brochure, you'll find a story of a girl named 
Angela that you can read later. But her, in her case, she was trafficked and then enslaved as a domestic worker for a family where they made her... Um, you know, cook and clean and do all the stuff, whatever they wanted her to do, that's what she got to do. Uh, and they had lured her there on the pretense of helping her education, helping her support her impoverished family in another country. They lured her here to America and, and then enslaved her in that way and uh, made threats against her life and their whatever. You know, they coerce you with whatever leverage they can find. So we're here today. Coming out of a series on light and dark to talk about shedding some light on a very dark subject and to talk about fighting darkness with light. And we looked at a passage of scripture a moment ago where Jesus tells this famous story of the Good Samaritan. And he was speaking to very religious people of his day. People who should have known better than to ignore things that mattered greatly to God, such as injustice and oppression of of people. Would you turn to me with me in your Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy? It's uh, the fifth book in your Bible, so towards the front. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And we'll be in the 24th chapter. If you're using a regular, non-large print pew Bible, it looks like it's page 208. They should have known better because their scriptures, which now essentially make up our Old Testament, are chock full of God's discussion and instructions to take care of the poor, to take care of the oppressed, to take care of the disadvantaged, to take care of the victims of injustice. It's found all throughout those scriptures that that these religious leaders of Jesus' day held so precious. Moses, in the law, taught it. The the first five books of our Bible are known as the Pentateuch or the Torah, and these were the law. These were precious to the religious leaders of that day, and they contain things like what we find in chapter 24, starting at verse 17, where it says, Do not deprive the alien, that would be the immigrant, or the fatherless of justice, nor take the cloak of the widow as a pledge. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there, and that is why I command you to do this. And when you're harvesting in your field, and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the alien, the fatherless, the widow, so that your Lord God may bless you in all the work of your hands. And he goes on to say, when you are beating the olives from your trees. Don't go over the branches a second time. When you're harvesting the grapes, don't go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the foreigner, for the orphan, for the widow. Remember who you were, where you came from, and what I did for you, and show that kind of kindness to others. This was sprinkled throughout their law. Take care of the people who are disadvantaged, who are 
put at a disadvantage because they don't have parents, because they don't have a spouse, because they're an immigrant, a foreigner. Do not commit injustice. Not only that, but the kings of Israel. It was near to their heart as well. The kings, the good kings, like David and his son Solomon. They wrote about it many times. David would write things in his psalms like, The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. And in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, Solomon wrote about injustice. But let's turn over to Isaiah now. Which is one of the first books of the prophets. It comes after all that, Psalms and Proverbs. And it's on page 722 if you're using one of these Bibles in our seats. Isaiah chapter 10. Sorry, 723. (laughs) Isaiah 10. The prophets of Israel reiterated the same things that Moses had said, the same things that the kings had said. And they said things like we find in Isaiah chapter 10, verse 1 through 4. Woe to those who make unjust laws, to those who issue oppressive decrees, to deprive the poor of their rights and withhold justice from the oppressed of my people, making widows their prey, robbing the fatherless. What will you do on the day of reckoning when disaster comes from afar? To whom will you run for help? And where will you leave your riches? Nothing will remain but to cringe among the captives or fall among the slain. Strong words. Another prophet, I'll put this one up on the screen, and you you can put your Bibles away if you want, uh, or you're welcome to keep it out, but Micah, another prophet, in chapter 6, verse 8, He has showed you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. These religious leaders whom Jesus addressed with this story of the Good Samaritan, they knew the scriptures. They should have known God's heart. If anyone should have known God's heart, they should have known God's heart. But Jesus repeatedly has a bone to pick with them on this topic. Of justice for those who've been the victims of injustice, for mercy to those who've been oppressed. This story of the Good Samaritan is no different. We're probably familiar with it if you, uh, especially if you grew up in the church, if you went to Sunday school as a kid, you know this story. And it's the story of a man who is waylaid on on a road somewhere, left for dead. And three people pass him by. And the first two are religious leaders. A priest, a Levite. And they, to avoid becoming unclean by potentially touching a dead, bloody fellow, just kind of give him some space and ease on by. And it's a Samaritan, a 
non-Jew, a worse than non-Jew. <laughs> Someone who Jews had no respect for. It, who didn't follow the Jewish ways, who were had intermingled with pagans, who had... It was him who cared for this man in this parable. Jesus was saying, you know, we should expect the priest and the Levite to be the first to care for someone in need. But in this parable, it was the person you least expect who took care of them. And just a chapter later, from where Jesus told this story of the Good Samaritan, he, he drops all pretense, drops all parables, and just cuts straight to the chase with these religious leaders. And here's what he says in Luke eleven forty two. Woe to you Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all of the kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Essentially what he's saying is, you guys are so careful to follow all the rules. You, do, you cross all your T's, you dot all your I's down to the nth degree. And yet, you've neglected this thing that matters so much to God that he's put it throughout your scriptures so that you can't ignore it and yet you do ignore it. He says, essentially, you know, when he's talking about giving a tenth, he's talking about their tithe. And he's saying that they get down to the most minute things. You know, this would be like if, if you found a dollar in the parking lot, you'd be sure to put a dime in the offering plate, right? <laughs> you're, you're serious about it. Or, you know, you find a dime in the parking lot, better put a penny in the offering plate on Sunday. I mean, just, hmm, we've got to get it right. But we're totally missing the mark. On Jesus says they were on these larger issues of their day. And Jesus isn't just taking them to task for, hey, if you saw a man on the side of the road, you'd pass him right by. Your heart's not right. There were bigger issues of injustice in their day that they were ignoring. There were people in deep poverty in their day while they often lived in ridiculous wealth by contrast and did very little to take care of those folks. They lived under Roman oppression, and while the religious leaders enjoyed a pretty healthy relationship with their Roman oppressors, the poor people didn't fare so well and were often oppressed, were often victims of injustice were injured or killed or raped or you, you use your imagination a little bit what happens when an army of soldiers takes a, you know moves in and takes control of some other territory of people that they consider inferior to themselves how do they treat those people usually not that great right in history if we look through history and that's what these that's what this people was dealing with and yet Jesus says, through the Good Samaritan parable and through this instruction, he says, you're 
being real careful about all your rules. And that's not a bad thing. You should tithe. You should do all those good things that God has asked you to do, but you shouldn't miss the heart of God for those who need justice and mercy. You shouldn't ignore the people who need your help while it's in your power to help them. Why do you think, when we, when we hear the story of the Good Samaritan, why do you think we get so indignant at the priest and the Levite? Isn't it because they should have known better? Isn't it because the, the people who call themselves God's people should have been the first to take care of that man? I mean, that's the way Jesus wanted us to feel, right? Indignant towards those men. They should have known better. But if we today, as God's church, if we as people who claim to follow this same Jesus that told this story, if we let the good Samaritans of this world do all the taking care of the oppressed, do all the taking care of and fighting for the victims of injustice. If we let the Good Samaritans do that, how are we any different? Some facts about this issue that we're talking about today, which is just one issue, but it's a big one. 27 million in bondage around the globe. Only 1 to 2% of those who are trafficked or ever rescued. The average age of a trafficking victim is 12 to 13 years old. Some other facts. Every 30 seconds, if you break it down, someone becomes a victim of modern day slavery. 1.2 million children are trafficked annually, and that's 100,000 of those take place in the U.S., now these are all largely estimates, but they're educated estimates by professional groups and organizations. They're not just, you know, like the guy said, who said that 80% of his statistics are made up off the top of his head. <laughs> this isn't like that. These are, are uh, real, as close to accurate statistics as we can get. They say that sex trafficking is a $32 billion annual industry. In America, girls are commonly sold for $400 an hour. One out of five pornographic images is of a child and 55% of child pornography comes from the U.S. And the sale of child pornography in the U.S. has become more than a $3 billion industry. So like I say, this is a real issue in our day. And who will we be? Will we be like the priest and the Levite who see the issue but we sidestep around it? Or will we 
be more like the Good Samaritan who was a neighbor, who loved his neighbor, as Jesus instructed. You might ask, well, what can we do against an issue so large? I mean, what can a a small group of people like us, how can we even touch the edge, even a piece of the iceberg that is human trafficking? Even how can the church of God, as a movement, as a larger church group, what difference will we make in something like this? Hmm. Well, I think there's several ways that we can help. It starts with just learning about it a little bit. And even though it's a little bit uncomfortable, opening our eyes to the issue. Secondly, we can pray about it. And we've been talking a lot at this church in the past weeks about prayer, both on Wednesday nights. Uh, we had our first We Pray event at the first Wednesday of this month, and we'll have another one the first Wednesday of March. And we can take this to prayer, and we believe that God is a powerful God, a mighty fortress is our God. And he asks us to come to him with issues like this, even really big issues like this, and to beseech his involvement. And so we can do that. And that's not empty. That is a very worthwhile and helpful endeavor to pray. But we should not stop at being aware. We should not stop at feeling concern or even praying when it is in our power to do more. We find in the book of James, which is a letter from, uh, we believe, James, the brother of Jesus, who was one of the primary leaders of the church, the early church. He said, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? I love James because he just just shoots straight, right? (laughs) Always, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it once he's done with you on something. I mean, the principle here being, if we see a need, and all we do is say, man, hope you feel better, Hope hope things turn up for you, but we don't do anything about it, then what good are our words? Similarly, I mentioned to you Solomon and his writings about this issue, but in Proverbs 3.27 he wrote, When it is in your power, don't withhold good from the one it belongs to. When it is within your power, don't withhold good from the one it belongs to. So we need to open our eyes. That's one thing we can do to the issue. And we do need to feel concern. And we should, I mean, anybody in the world, not just Christians, when they hear about this issue, their heart breaks. 
And certainly it should break our hearts as well. And we should pray. We should definitely take this to God. Because it's only by His strength that something, some darkness of this scale can be extinguished. Amen? And we should, though, when it's in our power, do more. And we're going to do something today in the form of an offering we've been telling you about that's the thousand times a thousand offering. And this was a vision put forth for us by the leaders of the Church of God. And they said, we'd like to get a thousand churches or individuals to each give a thousand dollars towards this cause. To raise a million dollars with which we can engage in this fight against human trafficking. Here and around the world. And they actually have an organization that they put together that's called Chog Traffic Light. And this organization is, has a board of people that represent different uh, groups that are already at work within the church of God around the globe. There's an organization in India that we've learned about a good bit on Wednesday nights called The Shelter. That India is, a, is one of those places where girls are really high at risk because in general girls in India aren't valued the same way that boys are and they are just at risk for being sold into slavery. And so the shelter is one place where at risk girls can find shelter in India. There's an organization in Germany that provides a place for girls to be rescued from the commercial sex trade where they're often trafficked into Berlin and places like that and so they've created a place that is translated in English the pink door that is kind of a cafe kind of a I don't know exactly how it all works because frankly that whole world is still kind of hazy to me I don't really get how it all works with the how they capture these girls and then they coerce them into doing all this stuff and they it's terrible but this is a place where they try to reach out to those girls and when they can they try to rescue them and this is a safe place where they can go and receive love and care that they need to kind of revive and there's places in America places that do ministry to girls who are in strip clubs, ministries like Church on the Street in Atlanta where they minister to the homeless including homeless girls who are highly at risk including the women who are on the streets in Atlanta which is the number one city in America when it comes to human trafficking, sex trafficking Sex, commercial sex industry and so the money that we give today will go to that Chog Traffic Light organization that's coordinating the effort for all those organizations and it'll be filtered down to those organizations that are doing work on the ground might even go to start new organizations I would also encourage you to not just When it comes to how can we make a difference, don't just stop at once a year 
on Freedom Sunday will address this issue. There's things that we can be doing throughout the year. And a few ideas are, again, in this bulletin, your Freedom Sunday bulletin. So take it with you today. Don't leave it on your seat. And you can read more about the thousand times a thousand offering. You can read about what else you can do. If you fill in your blanks, this is our statement today. It is in your power to do good. So don't withhold it from those who need it. To wrap things up, I kind of want to just share a little illustration, analogy with you. I want you to imagine for a moment that you have three kids... Maybe some of you do, so it's not hard to imagine. <laughs> the first is a son. And your son, uh, these are grown kids, or almost grown anyway. And your oldest son is, still lives around home and has a great relationship with you, helps you. It's just one of those sons. The second is a son who kind of cut ties with you, didn't leave on good terms, took off, lives somewhere else, doesn't call home much. You're not really sure what, they're, what he's up to, but you're pretty sure it's up to no good. And the third is a daughter who was traveling overseas when she was abducted and whisked away to God only knows where. And you don't know where she is. You don't know what they're making her do, but you fear the worst. I'm sorry for making you entertain such an imagination. that For some of you, it might strike a little bit too close to home. But I think that exploring this analogy just for a moment, and the emotions that it builds up in us, will tell us something about the heart of God. This God whom Jesus said is like our Father. And whom Jesus said loves justice and mercy. Think about you know, who these are. The, and what, what priority you know, would they fall on your list. Who would you spend the most time worrying about, thinking about? Well, who would you spend the least time? It would be the, the oldest son that's at home, right? Not because you love him less, but you'd spend less time thinking about him because he's right there with you. You don't worry about his welfare. The next, you would, you would think about often that son who's far away because the the relationship's not right. Not only that, but you, you worry about his welfare. And lastly, you would probably spend the most time, the vast majority of your worry and your concern and your prayers would be focused on that daughter. Wouldn't it? So many unknowns. You fear the worst. In this analogy, the, the oldest son that's right there at home would represent 
Christ followers, the children of God who have come home to a right relationship with Him, who are right there at home, trying to live as they should. The next oldest son would represent those people in this world who have either consciously or subconsciously rejected God, His way. They're doing things their way. And of course, they occupy more of God's thoughts, the Father's thoughts, because the relationship's not right. Because the choices and decisions they're making aren't going to be good for them in the end. And lastly, the Father would be most concerned. His thoughts would be occupied with those of his kids who are victims of injustice like that daughter. And we who are the sons at home shouldn't we strive to have the heart of the Father? Shouldn't we be standing down at the road as the, in the story of the prodigal son where the father sees his son coming from afar? Shouldn't we be helping him look for lost sons? And shouldn't we have the heart of the father as well for those like that daughter who are victims of injustice? And shouldn't we fight against darkness? And shouldn't we Strive to help them in any way that we can. And we do that by fighting evil with good, not evil with evil. And we fight violence with peace and darkness with light. That's how God's church is to do it. That's how we're called to fight it. That's not to say that there isn't a place and a role for governments to enact justice against perpetrators. That's not to say either that there will not be a day of reckoning for this kind of injustice. Because as you imagine the emotions of a father who has these three children you would imagine that one of those emotions, especially regards to the daughter, would be anger. Righteous anger, would it not? And we're kidding ourselves if we think that in the end, all who have done this evil will just get off scot-free. We'll get a pass. I believe... The scripture teaches that there is a day when justice will rain down in a mighty way. And those who perpetrated acts of injustice like this, the ones who abducted and enslaved, they will not get a pass. And the ones who created the supply, the demand for the supply, by paying for sex or hiring slaves, hiring, (laughs) they won't get a pass either. 
And the ones who stood by and watched it happen and did nothing when it was in their power to do so won't get a pass either. And the only pass will belong to the forgiven. The only pass will belong to those who have made Jesus, who have accepted Jesus' gift of grace and salvation and have been delivered from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And it is we, the forgiven, in whom it is our power to do good and not withhold it from those who need it. And let's we, the church, not be guilty of being like the priest or the Levite who sidestepped around the issue. Let's not let the good Samaritans of this world do all the fighting against injustice when our God cares so much about it. Let's pray together. O Lord God Almighty, we thank you, God, that you are not just a wimpy God who just is lovey-dovey all the time, but you have a heart for justice as well. And there is much in this world that is awry, and there is much darkness in this world. And we are thankful, God, that you are a just and mighty God who will see justice done. At the same time, God, we recognize who we are. And just as you said to the Israelites so long ago that they should do good because of where they had been, that they had been slaves in Egypt before you delivered them, and so they should do good to others now. God, we find ourselves in the same place, for we know who we would be without the grace of God. And we'd be no better. And so, God, we pray. We pray for all those involved in this darkness that they would see the light. We pray for all those that are in the thick of the fight against such injustice that you'd give them strength and power. And we pray for the victims of such injustice that you would show them love and compassion. Be near to them. And we pray, Lord, you'd show us how you'd have us to engage in the fight. Bless this offering that we'll take in a few minutes. And Lord, show us what you'd have us to do in all such issues. And we pray it in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen.